Welcome to a brand new edition of Believe in Heels Hoops. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined from the Tar Heel Tribune, R.L. Bynum, special guest host, Tyler Zeller in the house. Episode number three, if you're just now finding us, we'll be on throughout the season, uh, helping you with all things Tar Heels hoops. Last night, the Tar Heels defeated uh, the Pitt Panthers. The first time Hubert Davis has defeated uh, Jeff Capel and the Pitt Panthers, he was 0-3 going to the contest. Um Final score, 70 to 59, uh, if I'm not mistaken here. And we'll just get into it as I pull up the box score. Uh, you guys, thoughts on the game? Let's start off with you, Tyler. Um, thoughts on the contest? Uh, kind of it never really felt like once Carolina took the lead, it never really felt like they relinquished control of the game. It felt like Pitt was kind of chasing the rest of the night. Uh, what were your thoughts on the game from last night? Yeah, I thought it was a great game for us. I think we showed some, uh, some toughness to be able to hold on to a lead. Um, we've had some issues this year we either chase or we get ahead and we can hold on to it so uh it was nice to see him be able to get that lead and hold on uh pitt made a couple runs at him but got it down to you know that four to six range and we were able to push it back up uh pretty quickly make some big shots um fun to see ingram who had a struggling night scoring um he just showed, really showed how impactful he can be with rebounding and just every little thing on defense so uh fun to see this team that and how many pieces they have that can fit together uh, to be able to get those wins. That was the thing that stood out to me that uh, the depth that they have this year, um, it looked like uh, Elliot Cadeau maybe hurt his back or something on a, a layup and had to go out for a little bit. Seth Tribble comes in and it's like picks right up. So I don't know. Like I said, Seth Tribble's been lifting weights uh, clearly <laughs> <laughs> in the offseason because he's a more of explosive player. How tall is Seth Tribble? Like I don't know long? officially. Six four, something like that. He's six he's four. Super athletic. Yeah, I thought he was shorter than that because he's standing. He might be. How, I don't how know. tall is Cadeau? Because they were standing beside each other. Uh, I was trying to figure it out last night well, watching the game. That's shorter. Yeah, so I'm thinking he's six he one, maybe six, six foot. Two. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's out here trying to like maybe he just look six four because he jumps so high. Yeah, like wow. He's what listed. Right? RL. What's he listed, RL? Uh, yeah, Cadeau six one and um. Triple six three. Wow. Okay. So six three. Okay. So even so, like that's still just amazing. Um, he's just gotten really good around the rim. Uh, your thoughts, initial thoughts, uh, RL on the game last night. Carolina victorious go moving to two and zero in the ACC, seventy to fifty nine winners over Pitt. Well, it was ugly, that's for sure. But it sure beats uh, losing uh, two games to Pitt by combined three points, which was maddening last season. I mean, Carroll had the fewest possessions in the game this season, fewest points in the season, but they matched Pittsburgh's physicality, which is what they did not do against a much better Kentucky team. So that was impressive. Also impressive was that Armando Baycott has struggled in those kind of games before, but he responded well last night and and uh, and 
probably the best he's done in one of those games that is so physical. So that was impressive. You're, you're touching on Ingram, uh, and he, that that's what difference he makes as opposed to uh, a player who might be one-dimensional. He had his mm-hmm. toughest shooting night of the season, scored a season low, but that didn't matter because he played such good defense on Blake Henson, held him to 11 points, 4 of 16 shooting, and, and had a career-high rebounding total. So, you know, didn't need his points necessarily last night because he was doing so much more. Yeah, I think the, the Henson defense was unbelievable because he's a guy who can score in, a, in a loads. And, you know, it really made me nervous. We kept getting down to that four-point lead, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, is Henson going to hit a couple threes? It puts him over the top. And uh, we responded really well to be able to uh, keep him off. He, thankfully, he missed some, but part of your strategy is frustrate a guy enough that when he does get an open one, he can't make that either. As opposed to last year, I felt like guys got so comfortable, they'd make an extra couple threes that just made it hard to beat them. And, and I think Pitt was the top three-point shooting team in the ACC coming into that game last night. So for them to hold them, uh, as I've got the box score pulled up here for those that are watching on YouTube, uh, they held them to eesh, 17, <laughs> 17% from three, five for 29 uh, for the game, which if you're a Carolina fan, you know that guarding the perimeter has been kind of a – thorn in our side the past decade i mean like even going into like roy williams where it was just like there was always well usually it's when we're at home usually we're at chapel hill is this part of the year somebody comes walford or somebody comes in here and it's like one kid that's like dreamed of playing in the dean dome his entire life and he goes off for like 35 or something and (laughs) the whole like stat line and everything else this being on the road and us playing pit who has been uh they've had our number the past uh, couple years since hubert's taken over uh, again, he hadn't beaten Jeff Capel until last night. And just looking through the box score for me, uh, the one thing that stood out to me last night, again, was the play of R.J. Davis. He didn't score 20, uh, so he broke that streak that he had going on with Tyler Hansborough in terms of most consecutive 20-point games uh, in Carolina uh, or since uh, Tyler did in 08-09. Um, he, I thought he played very efficient, uh, 16 points – or excuse me, 15 points, three rebounds, uh, four assists. Uh, just had complete control. Whenever there was a run, it felt like it was RJ that would come up with a shot, like a three or something to kind of stymie the the the, the push that Pittsburgh was going on. And then uh, the play of Harrison Ingram. Harrison Ingram had a rough night last night. Uh, two of 14. There was a stretch where he was like 0 for 9, 0 for 10 at one point. But I love the fact that he stayed aggressive. 15 rebounds. Uh, that helped out considerably on the boards. Um, it was just all over the place. Ended up with seven. But I love the fact that he is that he's kind of that combo forward we haven't really had in a while that can post you up. Like he intentionally will back you down back to the basket and get into the paint and score, which in today's uh, college basketball, to be honest, is kind of rare to see it. It's really weird. Like when I'm watching him do it and I'm so used to seeing it being 45, I grew up inside outside type game. Like I'm used to you throw it in, you kick it out. And to see Harrison the way he like, he'll literally clear the floor and back a guy down and go down in it. Uh, to me, I would think, Tyler, I'll ask you this, because I know you've got experience doing it. That's got to be somewhat demoralizing to a defense to watch a kid just kind of back somebody down on your team and just constantly score over top of them from five, six feet out. Like, what does that what does that feel like? And yeah, I, know- I think the biggest thing with Harrison, though, <laughs> is he's so good from inside and out. And so if you put a big on him, he's going to step out and hit a three. If you put a 
wing or somebody as or same size or smaller than him, he can post them up. And so it does get demoralizing in the way of like, how do I guard this guy? Cause you can't put a big on him and stop the post ups, but you can't put a, well, you put a big on, you stop the post ups, but you don't stop threes. You can't put a guard on him because then he'll just post you up. And so you get in this kind of conundrum of like, what do we, who do we put on him? And there's not many guys in college basketball that can guard that, you know, guard a big and guard a wing and be able to have that versatility. And so um, I think he's he's really good at that because if you have a guard on him, you got a double team and he can throw out. If you got a big, you think he can guard him and he can shoot that little right hand hook shot. So um, makes it really complicated. I think Armando's done a great job of giving him some space on those post ups, um, which is you got to give him a lot of credit for because it takes away some of his post ups too. So um, and then those guys have all done a great job of you know, knocking down shots when Armando posts up and they double him. And um, It's going to be interesting how teams guard us going forward because with Ingram posting up, Armando posting up, you got to double, you got to come off, but then RJ's so hot. I mean, who, who do you focus on? Do you take RJ away or do you take up the post up or take away the post ups? And that's not even counting like whenever eventually Cormac Ryan's going to come back to the mean in terms of his three-point shooting. Uh, that's going to be there. Uh, Jalen Washington is starting to show reasons why he got uh pulled by Hubert, you know, last year um and basically is still here like he that dude is going to be a problem. Uh he kind of, you know, he kind of reminds me of uh uh Bryce Johnson a little bit with a jumper, like a like a with a three-pointer, which is scary. Um if he if he fully grows into his frame and takes the leap that Bryce did from junior year to senior year where you know, at that point Bryce was out here doing that 40 point 20 rebound monster FSU game with ease. I remember watching that game. It, just, it felt like he could have scored 80 in that game. Like he was just in complete control. Jalen's kind of realizing the strength of his abilities at this point. And he's been in the weight room at UNC. So it's like, you're starting to see, he had a block from behind last night that I loved. Uh, just super active. Um, Armando shot two threes last night. Like, I mean, they literally, I mean, literally left him alone. Like there was no one there. <laughs> he really didn't have a choice, but uh, I don't know. It's like the way the team is made up. Everyone seems to know their roles. And like when they come in, what they're supposed to do. And the past couple of years, it felt like they didn't have enough people to fill roles. So it was like some people maybe were doing multiple things they didn't need to do. Um, I wish that they would kind of let the whole, and they being the media, let the Caleb Love thing just kind of go. Like at this point, like I feel like every time we're on TV, someone has to mention how Caleb Love is doing at Arizona. And I don't think that's fair to Caleb or the team. You know what I mean? Like I think it was the best thing for both sides. Both both teams are in the top 10. Both are playing exceptionally well. I don't know. I just that, that's one of my pet peeves that going into that game where it was like the announcers had to again mention that, you know, Caleb Love used to be here and now he's in Arizona and they'll bring up the graphic and everything else. I'm just like Come on, man. We're like eight, nine games to the year. <laughs> the last night they were mostly talking about how good both of them were doing, like you were saying. Yeah. It was good for both of them. Um, I mean, I, I don't think anybody – I think we moved past the point now where it's like how good could they be if they saw Caleb Love and RJ. Like I, we, we saw last year how it didn't work together. We saw the year before how it did, but I think Brady Manick was a large part of that. So Yeah, they got – and that's the thing people forget with that team that made it that run to the, the, the Final Four was that they were having those issues before those three weeks. Like – the two years that we just had of the team with the roster, they were having the same problems. We just kind of forgot about it because we had that three week run <laughs> in March where everybody was feeling good. And we we're like, well, forget all that other stuff. They figured it out. So, and then we got to the next season. It was like, Oh no, they didn't figure it out. It's still the exact same problem. So right. um, I, again, I love the fact if this is the way we're going to do 
uh, college basketball going forward in Chapel Hill in terms of relying on the transfer portal, having a couple of key freshmen, you know, five-star kids to come in, uh, key upperclassmen that remain. Because I, I think that's going to be the trick in college basketball. Like, what teams are going to have guys that stay, like the stay put for two, three years and can build chemistry with each other instead of this uh, this microwave, like, you know, like how some of these teams are getting created where they're just pulling them all out of the portal and almost AAU style, and they're just kind of throwing them out there. It makes it hard to follow. Um, let me ask you guys this, because I was thinking about this when I was watching this game. Back in the day when I was younger, like, and we're talking like way back like when ACC had eight school before Florida State was in here. Like, I feel, I, I remember those Jefferson Pilot quadruple headers like on Saturdays where you got to watch all eight teams playing against each other from like noon to like eight or nine. They do them like in the middle of the regular season. And I felt like I knew the roster of every team in the ACC because I watched them all. I was a Carolina fan, but I, I would watch a Wake Forest Virginia game on Wednesday night or I'd watch a state and, uh, you know, whatever, state and whoever game, uh, you know, Georgia Tech. And like I knew Kenny Anderson and Brian Oliver and Chris Corciani and, you know, all these dudes. And like I feel like I don't know that because I was sitting there watching this game last night. And other than the Federico kid, because I remembered his name like rhymed from last year, I couldn't remember any of these kids on the pit team. <laughs> I was sitting there looking through it. I'm like, I don't remember hardly any of these guys. Uh, the Diaz Graham, maybe I, Federico. Federico was the one dude that I remembered because of his name. And uh, I guess watch RL. I know you cover it, Tyler. You've played it. Uh, you're broadcasting it now. How different does college basketball feel to you guys post COVID? Uh, with the new changes in IL transfer portal and stuff. And is it for the better or for the worse? I think uh, Hubert has taken advantage of the better in, in, in grabbing these veteran players. And you have to like the way he's embraced that. I I do miss the, the, the uh, time when you had a freshman come in and you'd see his progress over four years and get to know them and all that sort of uh, dynamic, but it's just not going to happen. And you're talking about not knowing the league. It's going to get worse next season with uh, Stanford and Cal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just, just get used to it. I'm looking forward to that, that Carolina Stanford 1030 tip off on a Tuesday night uh, <laughs> out in Cali next year. That's going to be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest thing you got right now, the transfer portal has gotten out of control. Um, and I think the NCAA was planning on one. So they've done the mental whatever to allow people to do second, third and fourth. And now they're trying to tighten that up, allow one transfer. I think now we got a court case. So who knows where it's going to go with that. Yeah. But um, if it stays where you can only transfer one time, I think it's really important. You're going to start to see one time transfers be 10 times as important as a high school player, which makes it really hard to recruit because you don't know who you're going to get. High school players are going to have to wait and all that. And um, because a lot of times, once you have that one-time transfer, you know, say you get a sophomore who's transferred already, you got them for three years, basically, unless they want to sit out. Yeah. And so that can make them a lot more important. If the court case allows people to transfer as many times as they want, that gets really complicated. Um, but I do think Hubert's done a great job of, you know, embracing the transfer portal and embracing NIO um, and just bringing in guys who may only be here a year or two um, and then trying to fill in with, 
you know, Jalen Washington and Seth Trimble and those guys who can be really good role players and have a, a, a huge upside. Because I think that's what you're going to need in the end. You're going to need. Kids are this example. This is his third school. So, mm -hmm. Which one? Cormac. Yeah, there's Cormac all right. And, and I, I think what I'm looking forward to, what I'm looking forward to is the possibility that uh, the players uh, can't go directly from high school to the NBA uh, uh, and and just uh, not so much, not so, not so many. It's one and done uh, players where you only see them one season and they're done. I don't know if we'll ever get to that point, though. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way. I think they're gonna. Well, they've already kind of so they got a G League team now. You can go to straight out of high school. Yeah, for one year. yeah, and we've seen some kids start to get drafted from off that Ignite team the past couple of uh, drafts too. So and the, uh, they haven't had a lot of success. Yeah, with those guys. I mean, they've had great potential, but the hard part is it's so young. I mean, those guys they haven't done a lot yet, but most of them are nineteen or twenty, and most guys don't play really, really well until 24, 25, 26. And so they haven't had a lot of success yet. But at the same time, that's to come. And so it'll be interesting in three, four years if that becomes the new thing, or if you know they have that negotiation because with NIL, now you can pay college guys. So some college guys are staying, which is helping college basketball, but you also have that other way where you can skip college altogether. Yeah. It, it's really the money is what, well, I don't mind that they're playing the players like that. That doesn't bother me at all. It's more, I'm curious if it's going to switch revert back to the way it used to be back in the day with the NBA draft or older draft, older guys are getting drafted much earlier as opposed to, what it is now where younger guys are getting drafted off of potential and then it might work. It might not work. Whereas back in the day you drafted a dude that you knew could immediately contribute. That was 22, 23 could hop right in. I mean, cause most, all the NBA was grown men. <laughs> now it's like a mix of uh, younger kids and stuff. Like I keep forgetting LaMelo ball is not even, I think he's 23, um, 22, 23. And he's already played three years, four years in the league. So, I mean, it's like, you kind of, it, 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 the paradigm has shifted to the younger players. It takes longer for them to develop and they play much longer too. Um, there's a couple of dudes on this Carolina team. I think will play at the next level. I don't know. I don't know if they'll, some of them will get drafted this round or that round or whatever, but I think they'll find a home in some spots. Honestly, Harrison Ingram is the first thing that comes to mind when I watch his game. I'm like, that translates to NBA like today. Like he could, he can get his own shot off. Like all that, it looks good. Elliot, I think, came in thinking that that might be a situation for him. He hasn't really shown that he can be the scorer, but he hadn't really had to with this roster so far. So I'm hoping he stays a second year. Um, and R.J. Davis. R.J. Davis, I think, has gone from being a fringe second round type guy to I can't see how he stays out the first round at this point, the way he's playing. Like he's just playing out of his mind. He's so confident with his shot that he's gotten to a point where there's been a few shooters in Carolina history where I'm like, as soon as he lets that thing go, I'm like, that's, that's money. And he's there. <laughs> he's kind of, he's kind of been there all year, but he's really the past couple of weeks. Like he's just so confident in his shot. And I think the team is too. Like this is, is it fair to say that this is RJ Davis's team, not Armando's team? I think so. For, for sure. Now. And I think Armando said that before the season. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't believe him. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't believe Armando when he said it. He was just being nice, but maybe he was right. <laughs> he had seen it in practice. It was like, you know what? Let me just kind of 
you know, hitch my wagon to this train, see where it goes. But um, I think they're going to go as far as RJ Davis can take them. Um, if you're just joining us, Believe in Hills Hoops here on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by Bet Online. And actually, before I forget, because I did it the last time, I forgot to read the. I only spent 19 minutes and didn't. I was supposed to do it in the first two. So sorry, Believe. Sorry, Bet Online. Um, <laughs> all the major sports are in action this week with the college football playoffs ready to kick off. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get in action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Um, real quick before we hop out of here, uh, Carolina's got a, another tough uh, matchup coming up Saturday against the Clemson Tigers. Carolina's ranked eighth in the nation this week. Clemson's ranked number 16. Um, guys, thoughts on this matchup? Uh this has been kind of more even the past couple of years uh, with Clemson. Well, with Carolina being so up and down and Clemson kind of getting right. Uh, we're kind of used to being the ones that use Clemson as our punching bag. And I don't know if we can really say that uh, <laughs> at the moment, although this is a different team, uh, Carolina. So maybe we revert back to the way we used to be. Um, RL, starting with you, give me your initial thoughts as we're uh, three days out from the Saturday matchup, Carolina and Clemson. Uh, and I'll get the, the times and everything for it. Yeah, this is one of the better Clemson teams we've seen in the past few years. TJ Hall's back. He's uh, playing well, averaging more than 20 points a game. And then they got Joe Girard from Syracuse, which how crazy is that? Players going from one league team to another. That, that yeah. just seems weird. And that's happened throughout the league. But, uh, yeah, I think I think that that'll be a, a, a formidable game. Luckily for Carolina, the students won't be back at Clemson. So much like the Pittsburgh game, maybe they won't be the crowd won't be as much of a factor. Who knows? Hmm. But that's always a tough place to play. Uh, Carolina's had some classic games there. You, you remember the Ellington shot one year. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a battle. It's a noon game. Uh, it looks like it's going to be on ESPN two. Clemson's 11 and 1, 1 and 0 conference play. Carolina's 10 and 3, 2 and 0 in conference play. Um, uh, I'm looking at Clemson, their last five. They lost to Memphis on December 16th, but other than that, they've won four of their last five games. Um, look pretty evenly, Matt. Clemson scores 82 points a game. Uh, they're on a two game win streak. Like I said, PJ Hall's averaging 20 points per game. I think it's second in the ACC right now behind RJ Davis. Um, He's going to be probably the guy to, to keep an eye on. Uh, Tyler, your thoughts on this as we're, again, we're a few days out from it. It's a Saturday noon tip-off on ESPN2, North Carolina taking on 16th-ranked Clemson uh, down in Clemson, South Carolina. So, first of all, I think noon games are hard. Um, I was going to ask whole, you about that, yeah. As a player, I mean, you got, you're going to have a meeting at 8 a.m., which, you know, for – Normal people with normal jobs like me, and now that I'm retired, 8 a.m. is nothing. But for when you're playing a game at 9 p.m., it may be 1 o'clock before you go to bed, and that's the schedule you're usually on. So 8 a.m. is very early um, in the basketball world for any kind of meeting. Uh, noon's early for a game. Um, unfortunately, and fortunately, it depends on which way it goes for us. Usually whoever punches first wins. Um, if you can go on a 8-0 run in the first 10 minutes, usually you can hold on to it with a noon game. So – uh, getting off to a quick start is going to be huge for them. Um, we got to be prepared to play right from the tip because it can be a little sloppy when you start um, to the 
to Clemson. I think PJ Hall is the key. Um, Armando will probably have to guard him. Uh, he struggled a little bit with three point shooters. PJ shooting great from three, I think 42%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, he's going to have to get out. He's done much better this year at getting out and challenging that and then being able to help on the, the drives and all the things. So um, I think the key is just going to be able to contain him. He may get 20 points, but make it a difficult 20. Uh, we can't be giving up second chances the way we've done against some bigger teams. Um, we can't let PJ get hot from three. That's a good point that you brought up that I didn't even think about in terms of the noon start time. Is it hard for the home team too at noon? Uh, like, does it matter or is it more rougher for the away uh, team? In some ways, honestly, the away team's a little easier because when you're the away team, you're in a hotel, you meet in a ballroom, you kind of get up at 7.45, walk downstairs, you got breakfast and film and whatever else you got to do to prepare. When you're the home team, you sleep in your own bed in a dorm, but then you got to drive to the gym. You have that meeting and all that stuff. And so mm. um, it gets a little more challenging because you got to get up a little earlier. And then, you know, again, on the way team, you can just walk back up your hotel room, the home team, you got to go back to your dorm uh, or sleep on the couch in the locker room, whatever. And so, um, you know, I say sleep, well, everybody takes naps um, except yeah. for a few people, but <laughs> I don't know why, just something we've all done. So um, and then to, RL's point, the crowd will be very interesting because I do think they start school back next week with Carolina coming in. A lot of times I found with big games or, with, you know, if we had a bigger game right before break was over, everybody just come back early. You know, mm, they come back, yeah. celebrate or go to the game at noon on Saturday and then do their college thing that night. And so it'd be a way to have fun for a little while before school gets rolling and all that. But, um, mm. but the crowd will be interesting um, if they show up. I mean, we used to joke, and I think it's true, Clemson was a 15-point different when I was playing at home versus away. And that was when we had the streak when we were at home and everything. Mm -hmm. But they're a different team at their place, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play. I haven't been to Clemson since I was a kid. Um, My cousin played uh, baseball for Clemson when I was like eight or nine years old. He ended up getting drafted by the Dodgers and eventually played in Japan. But we would go down there to Clemson to, uh, to watch them play. And I've always remembered, I don't know if it's still the case because it was so long ago when I went, but first of all, Clemson's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around it. Like, it's literally a college town, and that's it. There's nothing there. Um, and when you get there, uh, the the yellow lines in the street change the paw prints. Like, as you're driving into campus, is that still there? Do they still have that going on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. But, okay. but this this will be my first uh, game, covering a game uh, there. So I'm looking forward to to seeing Little John Coliseum and what, what that's like. Oh man, I, Little John gets loud too, especially on TV. Um, and to Tyler's point, with the game being Saturday at noon, I could see students coming back Thursday, Friday, getting back into their dorms and stuff, getting you know doing what college kids do, and then Saturday <laughs> at noon they're in Little John, ready to go. Probably didn't even sleep Friday night. And uh, <laughs> college <laughs> students, really? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, like I said, there's nothing to do in Clemson, South Carolina, so. Um, yeah, I could see I could see that being an environment. Um, actually, uh, Oakland Zoo was pretty loud last night uh, with the students not there. Um, it felt like there was a pretty good fan experience going on in there, and they didn't even have it full with like students because they're still out. So, um, I, RL, I were you there to... last night? Say that. RL, were you there last night? Oh no, I wasn't there last night. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you went to that one or not. Yeah. So no, those uh, midweek games are hard, hard to, for me to get to. I can imagine. 
I'm just happy it was a seven o'clock tip. They didn't give us the nine o'clock tip again. Um, because that's it feels like Carolina's been getting a lot of nine o'clock tip-offs with all the traveling around and stuff they've done. So Carolina emerges victorious, two and on the ACC. Um, they're actually, I know it's early, uh, but Carolina, Wake, Clemson, Miami State, Georgia Tech are all two and or one and in the ACC. Um, and then you've got a uh, a group Duke, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame that are one and one. Um, that Notre Dame team is weird because uh, I've seen them play horribly, and then they've they've played well. So I, I don't know what to make of them yet. Uh, that, that Virginia game was mystifying. Yeah, I don't know if Virginia's really that bad or <sighs> Notre Dame just got lucky. But that that I was a lot of it has to do with the new Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the new coach. I mean, first year of the coach. Complete strategy change. Yeah. Shrewsbury's going to be um, – I played for Coach Shrewsbury in uh, Boston for a little while. He's a, a great guy, great coach, but he's going to demand a lot. Um, my brother, having played for Coach Bray, was a great coach, but defensively he did not demand much. He demanded a lot of scoring, a lot of um, – but Shrew, Coach Shrewsbury is going to do a good job with them. But um, I think when they come together and they hit shots, they're going to be hard to beat. But it's the first year, and do you have the buy-in yet? Yeah. Uh, without it's not his guys it's so it, it'll be interesting what do, you, um, Notre Dame. what do you guys think i know it's still early but this has been a kind of an ongoing thing the past couple of years in terms of acc perception i've always said 2019 was the peak uh for acc to me up to this point in terms of us being the greatest college basketball conference uh going on or whatever three one seeds that year um it feel I think there's only two or there's only three teams ranked in the top 25. Carolina's the highest at eight. Uh, I think Duke was at 14 and Clemson's at 16, and that's it. Nobody else uh, is currently ranked. Is there a team that you think should be ranked in the top 25? I'm sitting there looking at like Wake Forest at 10 and 3, 2 and 0 in the conference, but I don't know who they've played. Uh, and Miami, Miami was ranked a little bit earlier in the year, and they've fallen out the top 25. Is there a team that you're kind of keeping an eye on that? you feel like could be a potential top 25 team over the next couple of weeks that's not currently ranked in ACC? I think the Deeks might might be th- that team or Miami. I think Miami's better than they've shown so far. Uh, uh, coming into the season, I thought Miami would be pretty good, and they still might be. I agree. I think, I think the big thing with figuring out how good the ACC is, is um, unfortunately up to this point, we haven't won a lot of big games from – those teams lower in the conference. And I think that's where you really show how deep your conference can be is, you know, you go play those Bahama tournaments or wherever. And if you're winning against other conferences, you really show, all right, this conference has got something. Um, Carolina's had some big ones. Duke's had some big ones. Um, I'm not sure Clemson's played a lot of people, but they've beat them really well. And so, yeah, um, unfortunately, a lot of those other teams have lost, you know, the SEC, ACC challenge. They, all that. And so we haven't had great showings against that. Um, I do think the ACC is very, very strong. Um, but that pre, pre-conference schedule shows a lot about the strength of the conference. Looks like Clemson, their biggest win was at number 23, Alabama, um, so far this year. Um, and, and then, of course, they've got Carolina coming in on Saturday, so that would become the biggest one. Uh, they actually have – they're at Miami – tonight uh eight o'clock on espn so they got a little stretch yeah and then they gotta go to blacksburg right after us um next week so they got at miami host north carolina at virginia tech so we'll find out a lot about this clemson team over the next three games um we're not you, dealing with a crazy schedule then huh <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> and then with as i was about to say i'm gonna go a little over to ours real quick because besides clemson 
You got in, at NC State uh, January 10th and then hosting Syracuse and Louisville uh, through the middle of January. So and then at Boston College. So actually, it's a good little part of the schedule for Carolina where uh, they get past this Clemson game. It looks pretty good. Uh, I'm not really Syracuse worried. Syracuse game's a noon game again, though. Uh, there's no – well, yeah, Syracuse is a noon game. You're right. Um, I think that's next Saturday. So next that's Saturday. another Saturday noon game. Uh, then 2-15 that must be Saturday on January 20th at Boston College. It's a 2-15 tip-off. Um, then you start getting to the meet later on, really after the, the first Duke contest. It's Duke, Clemson, Miami, back-to-back-to-back. Um, and then you got Miami State. Notre Dame Duke to close the year, but really the re- the schedule is pretty manageable from what I'm looking at on here. Uh, they got through the non-conference pretty, pretty much unscathed. I mean, if there was one game I wish we could have back, it's the Villanova game probably. Um, but other than that, UConn controlled that game from top to bottom, so I'm not too upset about that. The Kentucky game was kind of a back and forth too, but the Villanova game is the one game I'm like, ah, we should have got that one. That's the mm-hmm. one we probably should have won and we didn't, but. They've got some some top 25 wins in here, too, from the non-conference. They beat Tennessee, who was number 10. Uh, they beat Oklahoma, who was pretty convincingly. That's number seven. They were undefeated at the time. So, um, Oklahoma, oh, I'm interested to watch the rest of the year because their schedule gets tougher now. Um, who was that? Yeah, I mean, Carolina's still got – Carolina's still got seven more quad one opportunities, and they've got – they've already bagged uh, three quad one wins. So, yeah. they've, they've, they've got – a chance to really improve their NCAA resume. I mean, right now they're probably a high four seed, but they they win these two games against Clemson and State. They probably are up to a three seed and, you know, maybe even higher. Yeah. Hey, looked good last night, though. So they, they that hurt, yeah, I didn't watch it. I flipped over to something else, but uh, I got to start paying attention to Duke. It was that part of the year where I got to like force myself to sit down and watch Duke games and uh, state games and stuff. So um, we'll stop it there. We'll Duke stop. finally put it together last night. So See, that's what I didn't want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was hoping they were going to kind of be disjointed. Be like, oh, because I mean, sometimes you get games you put it together. It'll be interesting if they can put two or three together here. But they, I didn't see them. Were they were they on the road last night or were they in Cameron? I was in Cameron. Okay, because it's always a little different. And I want to see them on the road because that seems like that's when they kind of this year's team seems to kind of implode a little bit like that Georgia Tech uh, game a couple weeks ago. So um, we'll stop it here. We'll be back next week with a new episode after they play Clemson and after they have uh, played NC State. Matter of fact, because NC State will be. Well, actually, maybe not because NC State will be Wednesday the 10th. uh, So we might be back maybe before that game to preview it and uh, and to recap Clemson. So maybe Monday, Tuesday, somewhere in there, we'll be back with a new episode. But you can find these episodes um, on the Targill Tribune uh, YouTube channel. You can find them on the Tobacco Road Sports Radio YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. The audio is on the Believe Podcast Network. Just go to Believe's website at, or Google Believe in Hills Hoops. The episodes will pop up for you. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Luminary, uh, all the major anchor, all the major uh, podcast platforms were there. So you can hear us on audio throughout the week as well. But we're going to head out of here. Uh, one, one last we'll, thing. We got RJ yeah. needs one more three to hit 200. Passed well, well, Davis last night. And I think I just saw that Armando passed 200 points or 2, he reached 2,000 points last yeah. night. Um, so, yeah, that's 900 and some more to go to catch Hansborough. Is that mathematically possible? (laughs) Like, I don't know what he'd have to do to get. How many games are left? Actually, 
And now he can't get there. No, unless he, he starts out <laughs> 40 a game or something well, like that. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to petition for another season to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they him right now. <laughs> yeah, for real. They might be like, yeah, come on, stay one more year. So uh, we'll stop it right there. Um, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. You've been listening and watching uh, the Believe in Hills Hoops podcast uh, here on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by Bet Online. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.